Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the land. Praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvellous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendour and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, all you families of nations, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendour of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. Cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the ground sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Have a seat. Jenny's going to come and continue our Bible reading. So grab your Bibles and we'll get started. Morning, church. Our first reading is taken from Philippians chapter 2. We'll be reading from verse 5 to verse 11. Philippians chapter 2, page 1672 in your pew Bible. Starting from verse 5. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Our second reading this morning is taken from Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26 reading from verse 36 to 46. It's found on page 1417 of the Bible. Matthew chapter 26, verse 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I, wait over, while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, 
if it is possible, take this cup, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Thanks, Jenny. Let me lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, thank you that it teaches us about what your son is like. Thank you, your son teaches us how to pray. So this morning, uh, show us how we might have the same concerns as he does. Amen. Alrighty, can I ask you please to make sure you've got one of these leaflets open in front of you? You'll see an outline of what I'm going to cover this morning. Um, uh, some places for you to fill some notes in along the way as well. Uh, well, uh, as you know, we're making our way through the Lord's Prayer on the lead up to Christmas and Last week's big idea was that your picture of God determines how you pray. And we saw that we pray to our heavenly dad, uh, who always gives us what's best for us, not necessarily everything that we ask for. Well, this week we come to the first of the requests that Jesus teaches us to pray to that wonderful God. Uh, and actually, it's the same idea, just expressed with three different images. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, and the key word, actually, in all of that is the word your. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that leads, therefore, to today's big idea. Uh, it's printed there on your handout on the left-hand side. The big idea, we pray for our Father's concerns before we pray for our situation. We pray for our Father's concerns before we pray for our situation. Of course, the big question is why? Uh, what could make you want to pray this prayer first? Because unless you want to, it'll never be more than lip service. So you'll see what I want to cover today. Three ideas, three reasons why we pray for our Father's concerns before we pray for our own situation. Uh, point one, because God's name is powerful and worthy of praise. On the right-hand side, point two, because God's King is worthy of our allegiance. And point three, because God's will is perfectly done by God's Son. Okay, firstly, point one, because God's name is powerful and worthy of praise. Uh, you'll see on the left-hand side there, I've asked a question, what's in a name? Uh, what's in a name? Names, as we know, they are significant. Uh, they're significant when someone won't tell you their name or won't introduce them to you. You know that something is going on there. Uh, names are significant for the way in which they're spelt and pronounced. Now, I need to say this because this is one of the things I've had to deal with throughout my life. My surname is Lynn. Okay, so it's Lynn. It's not Lim, it's not Lind, it's not Ling, it's not Lam, it's not Lam. Thank you in advance for all of you afterwards who will now deliberately say my name wrongly, uh, as happens often. Uh, the, the meaning of a name is also significant. So, my name, Jeffrey, it means divine peace. 
ask my mother about that one. I don't know why she chose that, and she probably regretted it. Um, we had a guy who came to 7pm for a number of years here, a guy from mainland China. He became a Christian. Uh, he wanted to choose a new name for himself, so he chose the name Hammer. And I remember asking him, Hammer, why did you choose the name Hammer? He looked at me very seriously. He said, it is a strong name, and fair enough. On your hand out there, point one, in the ancient world, to invoke someone's name was to summon their power. To invoke someone's name was to summon their power for your behalf. So, 1 Samuel 17, this great episode between David and Goliath. Verse 45, David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword, spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. Which begs the question then, what is God's name? What is the name of God? Uh, point two there on your handout, God's name is... Now, normally when you see a blank on the handout, you grab a pen, because you know I'm going to tell you to fill in the blank. It's a little bit tricky this time. Have a look at Exodus 3, verse 13. This is the episode where uh, God has commissioned Moses to go and lead his people out of slavery in Egypt. Uh, verse 13, Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, Well, what's his name? What do I say to them? Verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. Now, not real persuasive, I suspect, uh, for Moses as he faces this situation. The, God's name is, the reason it's a blank is because actually um, it's unspeakable in many ways. It's loosely translated in English as Jehovah or Yahweh. But what we're being told is that God's name it is synonymous with God himself. It's synonymous with God himself. The reason is because no one gave God his name. No one is before God. No one is greater than God. He is entirely self-autonomous. He is independently complete. And so, the name of God, it is powerful. Now, to be precise, in the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be your name... The name there is the name of our Father in heaven. By the time we come to Acts, we find more specifically that it's the Son's name that can save us. So there on your handout, Acts chapter 4, verse 11, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. We're being told that Muhammad's name will not save you. We're being told that Buddha's name will not save you. We're being told that Krishna's name will not save you. Only the name of Jesus can. Just as your own name cannot save you in any way. If you look at the passage there from Genesis 11, uh, this is the so-called Tower of Babel episode. Uh, verse 4, they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Which is exactly what happened. A Christian is someone who realises that only the name of Jesus can save. A Christian is someone who says, Jesus, I need your help because I cannot save myself. A Christian is someone who understands that Jesus will quite literally die 
to save us. What a powerful name that must be. Now, because of this, God's powerful name, it is worthy of praise. It is worthy of praise, hence the title of this point. God's name is powerful, it is worthy of praise. Uh, The language that's used in the Lord's prayers, God's name is to be hallowed uh, or honoured, respected or revered. The reason it is worthy of proclamation is not just because it's powerful, actually, but it's because our Father is inherently good. And He's so, in a sense, without being crass, you really want Him on your side. Uh, Conversely, of course, that's the reason why it's unwise to ever misrepresent God's name or to blaspheme God's name or to take His name in vain. And so the third and final thing I want to say here down the bottom left, before God's name can be hallowed, it must be heard. Before God's name can be hallowed, it must be heard. You must hear God's name before you can revere God's name. Or to put it slightly differently, proclaiming God's name, it means praising His name. Proclaiming God's name means praising His name. And the way you do that the way you praise His name, is that you tell of all that God has done. You tell of His marvellous deeds that are so praiseworthy. So Psalm 96 that we just said together, verses 1 to 3, printed there on your handout. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise His name. Proclaim His salvation day after day. Declare His glory among the nations, His marvellous deeds among all peoples. Tell of his marvellous deeds among all peoples. Verse 3. Uh, it brings to mind for me the picture of an award ceremony or maybe a milestone birthday party where there are speeches given or possibly a retirement celebration. You know, one of those moments where people list all of your achievements, not in an embarrassing or cringeworthy way, but when it's done right... It's glorious. It's a way of honouring someone's achievements and their character. You notice what Psalm 96 says. It doesn't just say, declare his marvellous deeds. It actually says, verse 2, sing his salvation day after day. Sing his salvation day after day. There's a couple of comments there. Uh, It's a comment on the duration, day after day. That is... This process of telling his marvellous deeds, it doesn't get old. You keep doing it. But there's also a comment on the method. So it doesn't just say, say, or recite, or list. It says where to sing. Sing his salvation, because that's even more spectacular. Now, maybe the gathering that best brings to mind for us to make this point is of a sporting event. Uh, You know, when you go to a sporting event, at the start of it, you don't just say the national anthem, uh, you sing the national anthem. And afterwards, if your team has won, well, you don't stand around and recite the team's victory song, well, you belt it out. And you belt it out because it's more magnificent when you do so, And, and in a sense because, well, you can't keep it in. You know, when you have something good to share, well, you do it irrespective of your musical ability, or lack thereof. Charles Wesley put it so wonderfully in his great hymn, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing 
my great Redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and King, the triumphs of His grace. So, my gracious Master and my God, assist me to proclaim throughout all the earth the wonders of Thy name. Well, at the bottom of your left-hand side there, let me ask the question, whom might you tell of God's marvellous deeds? Whom might you tell of God's marvellous deeds? Because His name is not a secret to keep. It's good news to share. See, if God's name means something to you, you won't be able to keep it to yourself, uh, even if the world around is not particularly interested. If God's name means something to you, if God means something to you, then, well, actually, uh, what you'll want is for everyone you know to meet your God so that you might introduce them to Him. Come and meet the most marvellous person in my life. So, whom might you tell of His marvellous deeds? And maybe as Christmas approaches, of your family and friends, well, if they have never met Him, perhaps they'll thank you for making the introduction. And even if you've tried telling them before, perhaps over many years, oftentimes they've not been interested, well, maybe their circumstances and their situation have changed this year so that they might be ready to meet Him now. Why do we pray for our Father's concerns before we pray for our own situation? Well, firstly, because God's name is powerful and worthy of praise. Turn over to the right-hand side, point two then. Here's a second reason why. Because God's King is worthy of our allegiance. Because God's King is worthy of our allegiance. Uh, now, you'll see I printed there a question uh, to start this. Uh, it's not a, well, it's, it's actually a pretty straightforward question. What are the two necessary requirements for a kingdom? What are the two necessary requirements for a kingdom? It's not a very hard question. Well, firstly, you need a king uh, or a queen, but you need, you, know, you need a monarch. And the second thing that you need, of course, is, well, you need subjects. You need people for them to rule over. Can I say to you, whatever you think of earthly monarchies, whether you're avidly for them or you're doggedly against them, the prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray is that our Father in heaven might be king over all the earth. Your kingdom come. And in fact, to be more precise, our prayer is that the Son of our Father in heaven, the Prince of Peace, Jesus, our prayer is that He might be enthroned as Messiah, as our coming King. May your kingdom come. Now, of course, the question is, why would you choose to serve this king? What makes him worthy of your allegiance and of your life? Well, that brings us to our second reading, to Philippians chapter 2, which I've reprinted there on your handout. So have a look at it with me. I'm going to say a couple of things about this. Uh, the passage is in two parts. So firstly, verses 5 through 8. Now have a look with me there in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Uh, Paul says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. 
why would you serve, choose to serve this king? The first reason, Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8, because he won't ask us to do anything in his service that he wasn't prepared to do himself. He won't ask us to do anything in his service that he wasn't prepared to do himself. Because he laid down his life for us. And that's a pretty unusual kind of king, isn't it? We're being told that this is a king you don't just bow your head in prayer to. This is a king you kneel in homage before. This is a king you pledge your allegiance and your life to. This is a king you dedicate every waking moment to advance his kingdom, his success, his glory, and not your own. I thought this week, as I was reflecting on this passage, I thought about um, the chief of staff to a prime minister or a president who chooses to serve the prime minister or the president, not for their own sake, but for the sake of the prime minister or the president. They do so behind the scenes, unknown to most people. I had to actually look up who Anthony Albanese's chief of staff was, and my guess is that none of you know who he was either, and in fact I've already forgotten. But the reason why you choose to serve is because the one whom you serve you consider to be the most worthy person you might ever know. And you want him to be honoured for it, even if you never receive any public acclaim, even, in fact, if you suffer for serving him. Because in the end, who do you live for? You live for no one's uh, commendation, no one's commendation except his, to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. So one reason why you choose to serve this king is because of what he is like. But the other reason from Philippians 2 why you choose to serve this king is because of what he is entitled to. Verse 9, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. For what this king has done in laying down his life, he will reign in glory. His name will be hallowed for what he has done. And the sense of Philippians 2 is that Everything else has already happened. There is nothing left to take place except this. Jesus died, Jesus rose again. The only thing left in God's plan for all creation is for his son, the king, to be exalted and glorified forever and ever. And so you might say, for this king, his kingdom advances day by day. In fact, Jesus says he will build his church and nothing will prevail against him. And so in many ways, without being cliched, as they say, if you can't beat them, join them. At the start of this year, back in February, as a church family here, we sent nearly 150 people to three church plants. Do you know that by the end of this year, you'll see a picture on the screen behind me, uh, we've had nearly 100 people come through Belong, our new membership course. Jesus says he'll build his church and nothing's going to stop him. 
Now, just as an aside, uh, I want to say this today, and it's particularly real, relevant as we say goodbye to Udella. Uh, as a church, we are always going to be ascending church. People come, with us, come to us for a season, and then they move to other parts of God's world. That's because actually we all belong to Jesus' global mission task force. What that means, I think, is that I try to not talk about losing people, losing people when they go. Uh, It's true. Uh, We express grief when people leave, but not ownership or possession. That is... Our open-handedness reflects our understanding of what God is like. They belong to Him, not to us. And the thing is, I'm pretty confident He'll keep bringing more people to us because Jesus' plan is to make disciples of all nations and nothing's going to stop that. Well, what does this king want you to do in his service? What does this king want you to do in his service? Well, at least part of the response that the Lord's Prayer is directing us in is to pray His kingdom come to be involved with all that we can to help His kingdom come, or as we'll see in just a moment, to see His will done on earth as it is in heaven. The really interesting thing is that this is not just for any one of us individually, this is for all of us collectively. See, we belong to a movement, to an enterprise of which Jesus is the head and king. So, what does that look like in practice? Well, here are a few suggestions. What does it mean to want and to work for his kingdom coming? Well, I think at least part of it means witnessing, of trying to convince and persuade others to join this kingdom as well, because it is the greatest that the world has ever seen. Part of it is to work honourably, in the name of our King. So, in the New Testament, time and time again, we'll hear, slaves, serve your masters as if you are serving the Lord Himself. And I think it probably means to be involved in creating a realm of justice and mercy and love and peace that befits what our King would have for His world. Maybe the next three weeks in the Lord's Prayer series will serve as a diagnostic for our community and how we're going. How we're going at the daily provision of basic needs. How we're going at growing and being a community that forgives in contrast to our world around us that never ever does. Or how we're going at leading each other away from temptation and not towards it. Well, that leads nicely then into the third way in which this first prayer is framed. Uh, We've seen, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. The third and final part, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so to point three then, in answer to the question, why do we pray for God's concerns before we pray for our own situation? Point three, because God's will is perfectly done by God's Son. God's will is perfectly done by God's Son. Uh, The question there on your handout, how do I discern God's will? This is a great dilemma for many Christians. Uh, Sadly, it's more often the cause of confusion than comfort, trying to discern God's will. What our final Bible reading from Matthew 26 does 
is that it reminds us that the reason we can confidently pray, your will be done on earth as in heaven, the reason we can confidently pray that is because Jesus always does his Father's will. Matthew 26, verse 39, printed there on your handout, this is from Gethsemane. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground, he prayed, My Father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. A few verses later in Matthew, we will hear that Jesus says he could call down 12 legions of angels to get him out of the not very nice situation that he happens to be in. Instead, he chooses to do his Father's will, to go to the cross. And that, I think, demonstrates for us two profound aspects of Christian discipleship. Two profound aspects of Christian discipleship. Firstly, that the Christian life is simply lived in imitation of God's Son. The Christian life is lived in imitation of God's Son. If God's Son does His Father's will perfectly, then what we seek to do is follow in His footsteps. But the second aspect of Christian discipleship we learn from Matthew 26, well, it's that when we fail, we're so thankful that Jesus does not. When we fail to do our Father's will, we are so thankful that Jesus does not. Doing our Father's will is hard. It's not always what we would choose. It's certainly not what the world approves of. In fact, the world will condemn you and persecute you if you try and live according to God's will. Just ask Andrew Thorburn, or ask Jesus in Gethsemane. Thankfully, we know that the will of our Father in heaven above, it will be done on earth below. See, what is already true in heaven, it will, soon enough, be true everywhere on earth. And that's how I think we can be, I'm going to use a phrase here, that's how we can be pre-committed to the advancement of God's will before we pray for what, that it would be done. That's how we can be pre-committed to the advancement of God's will before we pray that it would be done, even before we know what it is. In many ways, it's exactly the same as the previous image of kneeling in allegiance at the foot of your king before you know what mission he will send you on. Uh, can I say that in many ways, that's part of the reason and part of how Wendy and I ended up here in Adelaide. Uh, I grew up in Sydney, we spent most of our life there, um, and uh, when we went to Bible college, um, you know, we, we kind of had this assumption that we would stay in Sydney at one level, but that we started praying that uh, God might make it possible for us to be involved in ministry to students somewhere else in Australia. Um, our assumption had been that we'd just start in a graduate position uh, there, you know, make all the mistakes there. Um, but being pre-committed to doing God's will meant that when he answered our prayer, really, we had no choice but to go. I don't know if that thought sounds scary to you. 
of being pre-committed to the advancement of God's will even before you know what it is? I want to say it is. Times is terrifying. But can I say to you, if you are a Christian, it is the prayer you first prayed when you turned to Christ. It's the reason why at baptism uh, we say these words, I sign you with the sign of the cross to show that you are to be true to Christ crucified. That you are to fight bravely under his banner against sin, the world and the devil. And that you are to continue as Christ's faithful soldier and servant to your life's end. Can I say just how wonderfully encouraging it is that despite all the challenges that we have faced and seen in this year gone by, well, in 2023, in our Explore Outreach course, uh, we had 60 people participate. Over the course of this year in our church, we've had 15 baptisms, 11 in our two commitment Sundays. Well, like kneeling before our King in allegiance, praying your will be done, it changes everything. If you have a look on your handout there, I've given you a short quote from something that someone showed me earlier this week. The Lord needs to break down our tendency to cry out in prayer, your will be done, and then to get up and still try to impose our will on our circumstances. Praying your will be done, it changes everything, and it's confronting. But it's also the most wonderful relief. You know why? Because when you don't know what to pray, when you're faced with two equally awful situations or scenarios, what do you pray? When you're faced with two equally good outcomes, what do you pray? Instead, we pray, your will be done, knowing that Jesus will do the Father's will, even when we cannot. When we don't fully know what God's will is, Jesus does the Father's will. When it all feels too hard, Jesus does the Father's will. When it seems like God's plans cannot possibly come to pass in this situation, Jesus does the Father's will. When we look back in disappointment at things that have gone, taken place, when we look back with regret or even shame, Jesus does the Father's will. When we look forward with uncertainty, nervousness, fear, trepidation, Jesus does the Father's will. And when we fail and when we let him down, still, Jesus does the Father's will. How apt that in a moment we're going to hallow God's name by singing the Lord's Prayer itself. Your glorious cause, O God, engages our heart. May Jesus Christ be known wherever we are. We ask not for ourselves, but for your renown. The cross has saved us, so we pray, may your kingdom come. Let your kingdom come, let your will be done, so that everyone might know your name. May your song be heard everywhere on earth, 
till your sovereign work is done, let your kingdom come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you've done for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that he was faithful and obedient, even to death on a cross. Thank you that you have raised him in glory, and that all remains is for his never-ending exaltation and praise. Give us the strength, O God, to live for him and for the honour of his name each day. Amen.